Hello and welcome to this episode of Previously Learned with myself James Shaw and Michael McLaughlin. On this episode we had the honour and privilege to be joined by Alex Staniforth. Alex is an adventurer, a mental health advocate, author, fundraiser, endurance athlete, motivational speaker and charity founder of Mind Over Mountains. And check out his um, website and the links www.mindovermountains.org.uk. Yeah, love this chat. Um, really, really fascinating guy, wasn't he? And uh, just some amazing insights. Um, and and wow, listen, listen for when he talks about his Everest base camp adventure. That um, that had James and I just completely blown away. So so listen on. Um, if you like the podcast, do all the usual. Please leave comments, feedbacks, and subscribe. Please enjoy. So Alex Staniforth, uh, author, record-breaking adventurer, motivational speaker, ultra runner. Thank you very much for joining us on Previously Learn. Um, I'm amazed you've got the time to join us as well, so really appreciate that. It's great to have you on. So myself and Michael, we set up this uh, podcast, Previously Learn. Um, I lost both my parents. Mike lost his father recently. We wanted to give life lessons to our kids, uh, but they want, we want people that know what they're talking about, that have been there, done that, got the T-shirt, so with that in mind, it's fantastic to have you on. So really, really looking forward to what your advice and life lessons are. Um, but with that in mind, first question, pretty big. What advice were you given when you were younger? <laughs> what advice did I give them? Well, I think firstly, great to be here, you know, and thank you for having me. Um, I'm still very much learning, but I'm very happy to share anything I've learned so far. Um, what advice was I given when I was younger? I mean, I guess I was quite fortunate that well you know i was fortunate that i had a pretty normal start in life my parents gave me a great start you know i had everything i needed i was you know happy and healthy and had a lot of opportunity um i think to work hard you know my parents instilled that in me um i had a pretty kind of you know a pretty average background you know we had to work hard for things we were comfortable but we weren't necessarily you know we weren't necessarily very very you know very kind of well, well off um, and that attitude of kind of working hard, you know, has, has always been in there from both parents. Um, I'm just trying, just trying to think back cause it's not that long ago, but you know, it, it, some of these things just kind of become second nature over time. I think as well to, to always treat people how you want to be treated. And I was badly bullied all the way through school. So I really appreciated that. Um, that saying more than most and having empathy for people and understanding being in their shoes was was important. Um, so I, th- I think from from an early yeah from an early age it was always that case of you know working hard, trying hard at things, being as good as I can be. Um, but it's interesting because I've always been very very self critical, so I don't quite know where that's come from. Um, but yeah, that's some of the main things from my parents. I think from from my grandparents because that's also a big influence. Um, it was around kindness you know my grandma gave so much money to charity to help animals and conservation and helping you know pro- you know projects around the world and i saw that from a young age and and that's what i think inspired me to start doing things for charity myself from a very young age and having that compassion always giving more than i take um so it wasn't necessarily advice it was just being inspired you know having those role models no uh, thank you right now very interesting it's you know and i think that's part of learning as well as being around the people you are and just by natural osmosis picking up how they act and how they interact with people and just doing the right thing you know it, not necessarily when people see you doing it it's just the right thing to do 
because it's is the right thing to do, you know. I think um you know, I think really it's actually um it's about doing things, doing the right thing when nobody is watching. That's the true measure of actually values and and being true to ourselves is is showing up regardless, you know. Um so yeah, that's that's spot on. So as as touched on in the beginning, author. I should say I'm I'm reading your book at the moment, Icefall. Absolutely bloody brilliant. Incredibly inspirational. No, brutally honest as well. It's such an honest book. You know, I can see when you when you're reading it, you can actually feel where you're coming from on the page. It's really, really worth a read. Um say so record breaking adventurer, ultra runner. We can touch on Everest as well. It's the big thing. How how did you get to that point? Was it something you always wanted to do? And you know, was it Um I guess Everest actually would kind of was the first thing in all of those things. It was the first thing on the list. And then all the others came as opportunities because of that, you know, um, Everest was the only real plan and title that I wanted to have. Um, it goes back to, to childhood, you know, ha- you know, having epilepsy as a child, being, being badly bullied, having a stammer, um, all the anxiety and depression and low self-confidence that came with all that. Um, left me in a victim mindset you know and, and I guess I was never good enough I was always looking for a calling I was always looking for somewhere where I belonged where I could kind of prove myself you know and, and the outdoors became that um it all started with a hill walk in the lakes when I was about 14 so about 13 years ago and that one experience that one opportunity to actually do something different um completely changed my perspective you know inspired me to think bigger and you know, to actually realise that all these challenges I had at school, um, this really kind of unsettling, just nervous wreck time, uh, to realise that actually, you know, that didn't have to define me, that I had a choice and that only I could take responsibility of that. And that actually, you know, it's about how we respond to these things. Because um, everyone has their own challenges. Everyone's dealing with something, um, you know, and it's relative to them. And it's it's about actually realizing that there is a way there, there is a way out there is a, a way through this um as everest became the kind of end, end goal of that i kind of at 14 you think you can take on the world you know you're kind of naive I'm a, my, I'm a parent always said to kind of you know always to dream big you work hard you can achieve your goals climbing everest seems to be the ultimate thing to achieve and to prove the bullies wrong so i kind of loosely set the goal at 14 after that first hill walk and actually put the steps in place due to a number of events and in in 2014, four years later, I actually found myself at base camp. So that kind of wasn't expected, really. Mm-hmm. That's I mean, like, so that was pretty much nine years to the day, right? Judging by the book, is that right? Uh, 2014 was my first trip. So yes, yeah. So when I, when I was 18, yeah. I, I can't get my head around. So you, you're, you're like in Cumbria, like you say. Then the next bit, or not next thing, obviously the steps there as well. But you're 18 attempting Everest how did that feel yeah well uh, I'm definitely definitely skipping over a lot of steps there I don't want to undermine the amount that went into getting there you know just to be honest the expedition is the easy part getting there is the hard part and there was training in the Alps in Scotland uh, in the Himalayas beforehand getting altitude experience getting that kind of independence as a mountaineer um then there was obviously fundraising. Getting to the mountain cost around £35,000 back then. And my parents weren't going to sign me a cheque. My job washing pots in a pub wasn't going to pay for it. Um, I was going to have to find a way I'll make one. So that itself was a full-time job whilst doing my A-levels and everything else at 17. Um, 
But how did it feel? You know, when I look back at the pictures and I, I talk about it, I mean, now I spend a lot of time talking about it, obviously. Um, I can't, it's, it's one of those things, it's like those embarrassing school photos. I really cringe, you know, I, I, how I looked and how I was. And just, I, I'm in a completely different mindset now. I'm not saying I wasn't ready then, but I, I see such a difference. And almost, I, I don't quite know how I did it. I don't quite know how I had the capability back then. Um at the time it just felt surreal it it felt exciting it was actually wow I'm, I'm i'm doing this like yeah it was amazing it really was um i can't describe it can i ask a stupid question Mark? obviously you got everest in front of you w- were you scared i definitely i mean to be honest you, you only see it a couple of times on the way into base camp i'd seen it on on a, uh, on a training expedition the year before on mara peak and Brunsi, and and i wanted to see it to get that kind of moment you know that kind of looking at the prize sort of thing um and i think it wasn't i would say fear it's more respect and respect for the mountain and respect for what i was about to do and also there was yeah there's definitely a sense of trepidation there has to be if you if you're not scared of it then mm. ego is what is that's what gets people killed in everest um so there's definitely fear there was always there's always that feeling of oh my god how the hell am i going to climb that um but it was just, uh, it just felt surreal. It really did. And it almost, it, these things never really match your expectation. You know, they're always different. And it's not, it's not quite as striking as you expect it to be. It's kind of creeping behind all the other hills, you know. Um, but you're so focused on the process and everything else going on that you kind of get distracted. Again, pretty broad question. But what life lessons has Everest taught you? <laughs> oh, blimey. Well, as you mentioned in the book, a lot of them are in there because there's far more than I could I could have time to talk about tonight. Um, so I guess it, it's good to start with context because Everest didn't go to plan. Um, first year there was uh, a big avalanche, which sadly, um, sadly killed 16 Sherpas. The following year uh, went back again at, at 19 in 2015. And this time we were um, just below Camp One when the earthquake hit Nepal. So that also didn't go to plan in spectacular fashion. And um, I mean, we were just a tiny, tiny part in a in a you know in a disaster that had you know sadly taken nine thousand lives. Um, and we were I mean we were trapped up there for two days. Sadly, three of our Sherpas at base camp hadn't made it. And for the first time in my life, you know, at nineteen, genuinely thinking you know, that's it. It's, it's game over and nothing can prepare you for that. You can't really train for that. Or at least I didn't think I could. And the main life lesson from that, I guess at 19, you know, it's quite a big thing to process was just how fragile life is, you know, and it's interesting because when I was kind of training for Everest and when I was going for the goal, a couple of, couple of people used to say to me, Oh, what's a rush? What's a rush? You know, you've got all your life ahead of you. Why not wait till you're older? At first, my mum was like, why don't you just get your A-levels out of the way? Why don't you go and do a degree and, you know, always put your education first? And I kind of thought, sod that. Um, and it's interesting because now schools are paying me to go and speak to kids about motivation. <laughs> um, I, I, they know that they kind of knew they weren't going to stop me. And my, my parents have always been really supportive, you know. There's always a sense of, you know, what's a rush, you know, and being younger gave me a bit of an advantage for fundraising it, it, it opened up an opportunity and almost i wanted to do it before life life kind of gets in the way as they say um i never wanted to be in that position when i wasn't able to kind of pursue that goal um 
And when you've got an avalanche flying at you in the icefall, you're on your own. You know, you think it's all all over. This big blast of white hits you. Um, it was just powder. It wasn't actual. It wasn't like a big avalanche as you might imagine that 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 actually kill people. But you don't know that. You just assume the worst. When you have that genuine moment of thinking you're going to die, you realise actually we're all on borrowed time. You know, and what that did is made me realise I've got to make it count. You know, I would try to find some meaning in that. And it's like, how can I make some good out of this? Um, so actually, it's just a, a drive and a, an obligation, a promise to myself to try and live an extraordinary life, to try and achieve as much as I can and to make the biggest difference I can. Um, so that's the main thing I've learned. But also that, you know, the irony is that had we stayed at base camp, we probably wouldn't be having this, this, this chat right now. You know, that's where the disaster really hit hard. And... I think a lot of people are in base camp in their own lives. You know, they're staying comfortable. They're not doing the thing they want to do or they dream of doing or they've been scared of doing or that making that life change because of different reasons. Um, and actually staying at base camp is the safest place to be, but that probably would have killed us. <laughs> so I guess it's that message around taking risks, making things count. And it doesn't mean I've come back and I've become a daredevil. I'm still very much the same. Um, but now I know what's important, you know, and don't get me wrong, I still have the odd whinge when things go wrong, but when you've been in that environment, when you've seen people lose everything, um, you don't kind of complain when the bus is five minutes late anymore, you know? Yeah, no, it's very, very good. <laughs> I mean, like, there's, there's no saying about reading nice for what, what I loved about the book as well were before every chapter, the quotes, and one of them really, really wouldn't believe how much resonated with myself, and that was... The Dash by uh, Linda Ellis. Yes. And that was actually read out at my mum's funeral. So as soon as I saw that quote, it was like, wow. And it's such an impact-hitting bit of work. It's absolutely amazing. And to even read that one quote from the book again, it is that you've got to gain so much from that, that poem alone, what in life. It, exactly what you said, tomorrow's not a given. It's the two dates and it's the, the dash in between. It's the journey in between, which is what exactly. counts. It's a magical poem, and actually choosing the right quote for each section of the book was quite a challenge. Um, I obviously pinched all the quotes of other people because they're much better than mine. Um, but that, that, yeah, that poem really does resonate, and I think I feel really grateful for what happened to us because not obviously to what happened to the people that died. Um, and I'd, I, you know, if I could change that, obviously I would. Um, but I feel grateful to have that perspective so young because. In some of my jobs and some things I was doing at the time, you know, as a pot washer and working in hotels and various things, um, I met so many people that were so dissatisfied. You know, they, they hated what they did. They hated life. They hated their jobs. And they had to kind of wait till that age, till that time in their life to make that change, to kind of kind of backpedal. And I never wanted to do that. That was a waste. And I know I appreciate everyone's in a different circumstance, but I wanted to, um, you know, it didn't, it didn't have to be that way, surely. Um, why not make it count now? You know, and I think that's what has spurred me down this path, really, to make that that, that dash count. The, one of the things I, I just take back um, the conversation you were talking about school, and and James and I both know um, sort of having difficulties at school and, and stuff for, for me many moons ago. But the, what kind of advice would you give any parents or, or the sort of people at school listening um, to? Uh, 
sort of, sort of take forward and move them beyond those difficulties because it, it can be quite lonely and and a harrowing experience um, uh, at at school with the, in under those circumstances. Definitely, and I know it was really hard for my parents to see that, to feel helpless, to watch me struggling. Um, I think mum especially, because when I was in high school, my parents split up. So I, you know, I lived with mum, and she saw that firsthand. Um, and we're still really close because of that. You know, um, my mum is very territorial. You know, she if she doesn't agree with something, you'll you'll know about it. Um, and so she fought really hard to to kind of get me the help I needed. You know, especially especially in the bullying. I think the advice that I'd give, the advice that I guess it's to, I think it's to never let, let ourselves be defined by something. You know, I could have just kind of curled up in a ball and let the bullies define me, but actually it's, it's keep doing the right thing. If that means standing up for yourself, if that means, you know, banging on the doors until you get heard, it's to keep doing the right thing. And also to know that, you know, however you're treated at school, if you're going through a tough time, that doesn't have to define you. You know, you hear all these stories of people that had a really tough time in school and the bad upbringing and go on to be successful. So I think it doesn't define the future is the advice I give. So almost don't think that, you know, if your child is going through a really tough time, they have something they're dealing with. It's not the future, you know, um, a lot can change. And I, I like to think that my story to an extent may, you know, may show some of that, um, you know, that actually it's just the start really. It's fascinating. Yeah. I think uh, there's there's obviously a lot of stuff in it. Um, I think uh, the mind over matters, um, a work that you do in the businesses. Uh, one of the things that I'm particularly interested in, um, because of the industry I work in, um, is how do you think people's mental health has really changed over the the pandemic? And and where my sort of basis is coming from is, um, I've kind of always worked from home within my my job. But um, being forced to work from home kind of made me feel completely different. So I'm intrigued to see what you've sort of seen over the last couple of years with the, the pandemic and the influence it had on people. Yeah, great question. And I'm actually on a panel about this soon. So it's good to get some practice because <laughs> it's, it's interesting on the outside looking in, you know. Likewise, I've always worked from home, you know, unless I'm speaking at, speaking at events. Um 75 80 percent of the time i'm at home doing everything else right and especially in the pandemic it was speaking like this on zoom you know it was, it was speaking virtually which was an amazing opportunity to be able to do that to be able to connect around the world um and as an introvert i kind of found the pandemic quite easy um i feel very guilty <laughs> um, you know i live on my own and i i it wasn't really a big change for me but my concern, my my worry in that time was more for other people around me. It was like the re people that were on their own, how are they going to not being able to get to them? And I think what's changed in the pandemic is um, I think a realisation for genuine connection because there's no substitute for being able to actually chat to somebody face-to-face and have a brew, you know, have a coffee. And it's so easy to kind of hide behind a mask, you know, hide behind a, you know, a camera or be on mute, et cetera. Um, and I think what I've seen is that control, as you say, you know, it's okay when you're working from home, but when it's forced on you, um, it's losing that escape, it's losing the opportunity to reach out to people, to have that help, and almost not having control over a situation never puts us in a good place. Mm. So I think it's that there is a need for genuine connection, and also it was strange because in the charity, like when we started doing events again, people almost forgot how to talk to each other. People were a bit like our practice, you know, and 
Um, I think one of the positives of all this, though, is that actually we've become kind of more connected than ever before, you know, and it gave us all a chance to reach out to people and to to find new ways of supporting them. Um, and from what I've seen, a lot of businesses have invested more in well-being because of it, because they've realised how hard the last two and a half years have been on people. Um, but because I don't work in a typical business environment, it's hard to give you a and give an answer on that because I've only really seen it from my own perspective. But I think it is around that genuine connection with people um, is something that we really need more of. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And I, I, I've even found as well that my attitude post-COVID is a lot more willing to shop independent, smaller businesses, the local business, local enterprise, and because everyone's just trying to put food on the table, right? And it's like the whole thing now, it's not the big chains or whatever, but you've seen, I think people's outlook on life has changed since COVID as well. And I think the world has got smaller because people now are interacting more, but positively interacting more as well. Yeah, and there's always, even in the worst situations, there's always opportunities. There is that compassion. I think that's a really good thing. I think it's made us more aware of certain issues and it's also brought opportunities. We found quicker, smarter ways of doing things. Um, you know, I never thought I'd get, you know, my grandma on WhatsApp and, and anything's possible, you know. Um, and, yeah, I, I think, again, this is now this kind of new normal, you know, quite quickly you kind of lose sight of what the old one looks like. And, like, you're like, how do we do it that way for so long, you know? Um, so it's almost like you don't realise what's possible until you have no other choice. Um, but I think it, it meant from a mental health basis, I do think that people are, I feel that people are more empathetic now because people have struggled that have maybe never struggled before because they've been in a situation they've never dealt with. And when you've been surrounded by all this like threat and unknown and uncertainty for so long, um, I think we've all had to find different kind of different tools because, you know, for months and months, the gyms were closed and things were closed down. And I was lucky I could go out and run, but what about other people that were stuck at home, you know? Yeah. I mean, we, and that's, yeah, I mean, we've had conversations before um, at work and it's like the people that if you live in a city and you're a young person that lives in the flat, they haven't got the garden. We, I mean, like, I'm fortunate the house we live in, we've got a garden, the kids could have played in the garden while it's all going on, whatever like that, especially when the weather was good. But then the second lockdown, when the weather is awful and everyone's trapped, it is like people are climbing out the walls and it is awful, you know, and it, it just didn't seem to get an end either. But... I think, like I say, people had a new lease of life on the back of it, which is only a positive thing. You know, you've just got to get out there and try and see the world, I guess. Yeah, I, I think that point, Alex, on more people kind of didn't realise they suffered or, or, or didn't appreciate that sometimes they maybe sort of were having some difficulties. And the thing, because I, I, I remember being in the room, uh, you know, for like, well, what felt like 50, 60 hours a week. Um, and all of a sudden I realised it's like seven o'clock and I've been in these four walls and literally like got mm. a cup of tea. Um, but I, I think the empathy bit is important. I think a lot more people have. I think that's an absolutely cracking point in terms of that. So, 
Um, I, I was going to follow on from that, but I think kind of I'm sort of more than that. What sort of things would you recommend for people who are maybe stuck at home or or maybe just feeling the walls are coming in a little bit, um, sort of that kind of work thing? And I, I, I'm kind of pushing you towards the walk and talk because um, I was going to have that like, funny joke that turns around and says, if I was walking up a hill, I probably couldn't talk too much. But um, what, what, what sort of things are you finding helps people? Well, I think... I mean, you know, in a charity, our, you know, our ethos is essentially to give people that safe space to walk and talk or just to walk and, you know, be, be in nature with like-minded people. Um, for me, the outdoors has always been my way of managing life, managing my mental health, whether that's walking, whether that's running, cycling, just being outside, being active. Um, and if you can do that with other people, you have the added benefit of being able to talk about problems and just to offload rather than carrying these things that kind of weighs down. Um my advice to those people, if you know, if you're able to, I mean, obviously now we're able to get outside, is just to to make that a routine, make good make good habits, just to to get a break from that, you know, that environment. It's often not often the big thing. It's not about going and doing a half marathon. Actually, it's five minutes. It's having that as part of a habit and a routine. Because I think almost if you do it when you feel like it, um, obviously then we're more likely to be distracted by other priorities. So I think it's about having healthy habits and. Um, and you know, small things we do on a regular basis, really, you know, if you can't manage half an hour, you know, 10 minute walk around the block, maybe take a phone call, you know, whilst on a walk, those are regular breaks, I think are important. And, you know, every hour, you know, have an alarm on your phone that kind of reminds you to go and stop and have a drink or you have a brew. Um, again, I don't really struggle with this because I'm used to doing it, but for the, for the extroverts and the people that need to bounce energy off each other, I know it was really challenging. Um, uh, as you say, when you get caught in the flow, you can go hours and hours and realize you haven't even had a break. And you're like, oh, where did time go? I think if you can, that's where where habits are helpful. So, for example, like um, I use an app on my phone which blocks me on social media from nine to five every day um, just to avoid me getting drawn into Instagram reels and memes and silly things. Um, but equally, I think we can do the reverse in terms of, you know, having, you know, having, you know, you know, actually setting healthy boundaries, because I think if we don't set healthy boundaries, work and other things will set them for us. And then you end up trying to catch up and catch up and catch up. And it's like an ultramarathon. If you fall behind one day, you've got a big job trying to catch up the next day. And then there's a real chance of burnout. You know, you get stuck in this vicious cycle. So off the top of my head, I'm just trying to think of more around that. But I think it is just about, um, getting some time in nature and even if you can't get outside you know just be active jump on the spot something like that can give you a massive energy boost yeah something i need to do i, I mean i find if i haven't exercised i've been to the gym for a little while a few days off i go mad i hate it absolutely and i get and i hate and i found as well wasting time but sometimes it's good just to sit down and do nothing but i instantly get I'm not angry, but I don't think that's a waste of time. I could have been doing something in that time now, but sometimes you actually need to have that break, you know, but it's, yeah, I mean, like, we'll just come back off holiday, for example, and I don't think I sat down for five minutes. I was always doing something. I had to do something. Otherwise, I felt like I was wasting time. I don't like wasting time. Maybe that's one thing, another opportunity from the pandemic is actually we all were forced to stop, right? And we're always busy. We're always racing everywhere. As you say, we don't know how to stop anymore. And... And I'm, you know, I, I equally struggle with that. Um, every minute counts, right? And you've got goals. I've got, we all, we all have, you know, a big list of things every day that we have to do. 
instead of a kind of a to-do list, they only need like a, you know, to-be list, you know, what do I want to be, you know, the moment. And I'm finding a lot of the moment, you know, by Friday, Saturday, my brain is zapped. And sometimes actually Netflix is perfectly fine. I discovered Netflix recently and and it's a bad thing to find, but actually um, the brain can only absorb so much. And that guilt about self-care is, is a problem. Even, you know, what I find as well is even actually being active and even training and running. That's what I enjoy, but it's not actually relaxing. Actual relaxing is doing nothing and feeling not feeling guilty about that because that's what gives us that capacity to go again the next day and the next day, right? Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's avoiding temptation to try and cram things in, uh, almost not having an agenda, you know, having a day when there's n- no tasks on the list, just do what you feel like doing. Um, I appreciate it's harder when you've got kids and jobs and everything else, um, but if it's not in the diary, someone else will put it, will take over for you, right? Yeah, no, exactly. And it goes back to, again to the poem and the dash, right? And that journey, you've got to make your own journey. But it's you've done so much, right? And what, what, what do you like your legacy to be? I mean, like, you've done a lot already, right? You've done so much. So what what now? You know, what what's next? I don't feel like I've even started. Like I, I barely scratch the surface. Um, naively, as a youngster, I thought that, you know, I'd get to Everest and then I'd, that'd be it. I'd be, you know everything will be okay. I'd almost, I could rest on my laurels. Um, but then actually Everest was just, it was just opened so many other doors. And it's been really challenging the last 12 months because um, I did a long run in April last year. Then, then uh, two days later, I caught COVID. And ever since then, I've been on this journey with long COVID, which is not great when you're an ultra runner. Um, so I've lost my identity. I've lost my coping mechanism. I've had to really find some new ones very quickly. And again, like the pandemic, you know, you put all your eggs in one basket. You have to really reevaluate what's important. And so suddenly there's no time scale. I can't set goals. I can't set big challenges or not in my usual way, at least. Um, and that's forced me to reevaluate and think about things and kind of what's the end goal like. And for me, it comes down to to kind of, three main kind of you know three main sections of life one of them is to you know achieve extraordinary things one of them is to leave something bigger behind and i think essentially you know to be the you know to be the best version of myself um with the charity i think that's leaving something you know larger behind you know trying to create something that can help people when i'm not here um and ultimately to achieve things that become a reference point for other people that other people think well if he can do that then i can do that because that inspires them to be the best that they can be. So that's a long-winded kind of stoic way of uh, avoiding your question. But basically, age doesn't matter to me. Um, I I just um, I think if I can be doing what I'm doing in, in many years to come, I'll be very happy. But uh, but but hopefully reaching more people and raising more money for charity. And I want Mine of the Mountains to be the biggest organisation in the UK who provide this you know the outdoor support for mental health i think it's the most powerful tool that we have and i think everybody should have access to that so if if, if, if mind of the mountains can can achieve that in my lifetime um then i'll be happy but uh there are some plans for some big mountains coming back onto the agenda um i've um i've just committed to an expedition to aconcagua in uh, december which is the highest peak in south america so i'm getting back in the house getting back into the high mountains after all these years um, and we'll see what goes next. But basically, um, I think it comes down to, you know, that that question. And, you know, at the end of the day is, you know, what difference have I made today? 
And if I can think that every night, then I think that's success for me, really. Um, but in principle, um, I'm only getting started. Oh, fantastic. Uh, listen, it's, it's, uh, it's amazing what you've done. And it's the charity work. And I'm going to even say reading the book, and some of the quotes you've had come back from people dropping you lines. That, that's inspiration, right? And, and it's, it's people passing it on, and that's going to inspire someone else. You don't know a child of like nine or ten might read that now. They're going to do something that's going to inspire someone else, and the chain carries on, which is the legacy is fantastic. It is this kind of positive multiplier effect, as I call it, mm-hmm. you know, and one story becomes another story. And that's why these podcasts are great, because, you know, your, you know, your stories will go out and, and reach more people. And it kind of it's like a it's kind of a chain effect, you know. Um, so I think that's that's the goal, really, you know, and that's what really motivates me when I look kind of lose sight of that. No, so I wish you all the best of luck with it. It's fantastic. So we, we touched earlier what you've done, the achievements you've done, where you've been. From now, what advice, from this day now, what advice would you pass on to future generations? Great question. Let me think about that. Um, I think it would be that, you know, the biggest barrier to achieving our potential is always ourselves. It's the stories we tell ourselves. It's the labels that we put on ourselves and the society puts on our, puts on us. But I think we are capable of, of so much more. It is literally about the choices we make and, uh, it doesn't matter what we've been through. Everyone has their own challenges. Everyone's dealing with something. Um, but my advice would be to to never let anybody define your potential. You know, the biggest risk to me is staying in base camp, whatever that base camp looks like for them. Brilliant stuff. You know, it's. I think that's a nice place to end there. It's. Uh, I, I can't thank you enough for your time and your insights. It's absolutely amazing. Absolutely brilliant. So really, really, generally appreciate it. Well, I hope you enjoyed that chat. I found it absolutely inspiring. It's absolutely amazing chat with Alex. Um, some of the stuff he's done, it's and that's even just the tip of it, was mind-blowing. Really, really informative. Loved it. Um, I found also the concept of leaving something larger behind. Brilliant. That's exactly what we wanted this podcast to be about as well. You know, it's just absolutely spot on. Really, really enjoyed that chat. Yeah. The, the advice for, uh, like, the being at school and things going on there so um i I liked a bit when he said people generally just stay in their own base camp and obviously with the story that harrowing story about what happened and it just so happened he left a few hours earlier you know so people don't take risks so you you should take them make things count you know and the biggest barrier was ourselves i just just love that the fact he's saying everybody has challenges um it's good yeah and I i think one of the things he really closed with that i loved was don't do a to do list make a a b list and i'm like be something make a difference do something as you say leave something larger behind just loved it absolutely fascinating thanks alex yeah no brilliant good stuff alex and again thank you very much for listening to the podcast it means a lot to mike and i and please as always leave comments feedback you know it all means a lot to us so thanks again for listening take care